Views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. And it is Panhandle Live for the 6th day of February 2024. As always, broadcasting from the Hoppy Kirchville building. And as always, Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads. Ty Renato. busy show to get to today. I'm happy to be back in the chair and happy to be alongside Marsha Kavalik. Marsha, good morning. Good morning. Did you have a good birthday weekend? I did. It was fun. I, I got to spend some time catching up with some family and friends, which is always a great way uh, to spend a weekend. Now, before we get to our first guest, two things we want to hit off really quickly uh, off the top of the show. If you missed part of Panhandle Sports Live, Kevin Kalzer, Shepherd mm-hmm. Football Standout, is going to be joining us every Tuesday for the next couple of weeks. Did a very good job, didn't he, Marsha? Nice. Uh, yeah, it was nice to meet him. And I was looking up his, his stats and things, which didn't mean a ton <laughs> to me. But like, like, oh, that's really cool that we've got someone like that going to c- come in and kind of give that perspective. Absolutely. And then secondly, and we'll talk about this a little bit uh, later on in the show, while I don't necessarily appreciate the impact as much as the next not being a, a country music fan, we're all, of course, uh, in mourning of the death of Toby Keith. Today. Yeah, some of us are not okay. But I, I have some nice excerpts. This is how we heal in the radio business. I have some nice excerpts. Uh, honoring Toby Keith and uh, and his faith. We will get to that. Uh, but first off, uh, happy to have in studio Berkeley County Sheriff Rob Blair and his uh, Chief Administrative Officer Eric Burnett. Welcome in, gentlemen. Good morning, ma'am. Good morning. Thanks for being here. And congratulations, uh, new Sheriff Rob Blair. Thank you. So uh, we were talking about this a little bit before the show started. Uh, you know, a year ago, would you have seen yourself in this position? Um, absolutely not. This wasn't something that I was uh, seeking out two months ago. Uh, just everyone's followed this situation with the sheriff's department, and um, as unfortunate it is, as it is or was, um, I um, I was given the opportunity, or I was asked by um, uh, some people in the community that I respect to consider it, and uh, through uh, a lot of wise counsel and, and prayer and consulting with my family because this this affects my family too and uh, I um, I decided to put my application in with the county commission and uh, I think there was eight applicants and uh, there were three that interviewed for the position mm-hmm. uh, qualified candidates and uh, I was um, honored to be unanimously chosen to be the next sheriff so you know some folks who become sheriff don't have much law enforcement background they get elected to it um you know you are obviously appointed you had to go through that interview process uh but you have a pretty impressive law enforcement resume talk about that um my law enforcement career i I, I say this um uh, i was kind of born into this my father was a state trooper Uh, he started in 1962 i was born in 1966 so i was born into the west virginia state police it's kind of as a child, you know, you, you, you know, kids a lot of times say they want to be a police officer, fireman, or those, those jobs. But I always, uh, that was something that I wanted to do uh, growing up. I, we, we traveled from Huntington to Beckley. A lot of grew up in Huntington. And we drive past the State Police Academy. I always said, that's where I'm going someday And uh, as a child. So, you know, it's, um, I started my career in uh, 1988, December of 88. And uh, my father was still in the department at that time. 
we actually served three months together. Um, he was obviously he was a captain, and I was a cadet, and so we didn't <laughs> we didn't interact much. So he didn't give you a hard time. <laughs> was it was no. it weird though? It was it was different. It was yeah, but uh, he was proud of me. He tried to talk me out of it. Actually, he wanted really? me to, he wanted me to go to law school, and I just I just told him I said Dad I said that's uh, all I want to do. So uh, I, um, I I joined the state police and. Uh, 1989, I was sent to Jefferson County. Um, in the academy, they tell you, put your three wishes. I think I put Mason, Putnam, and Wayne County because I grew up in Cabell, and I got Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, how'd that work out for you? Well, <laughs> you know, and I tell, I, I used to tell my cadets coming out of the academy, and I, I'll say this to the deputies that you know, uh, there's things in life that happen to you, and at the time, you might think. Uh, this isn't, this isn't my plan, but, you know, uh, in the end, you, you look at your life backwards and, and, and you know that God's hand was in it because I came here, I eventually met my wife. I have three wonderful children, two grandchildren. I've had a wonderful career. Uh, I've developed so many friendships here in the community. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's humbling to look back and think of, of, uh, the relationships that I've formed, and, and um, uh, I'm grateful for that. I really am. Was there anything that surprised you through the interview process leading up for, you know, getting hired for this position? Is there anything that has surprised you since you've taken the position over? Uh, regarding the, the agency? Yeah, just, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with the sheriff's department. Everyone talks about law enforcement, uh, but they they don't understand that maybe that, the tax uh, tax part of it, the tax uh, department with Barb Gooden um, and her staff, they do a wonderful job. Uh, that's a big part of the sheriff's job. We also have animal control. Uh, with the tax department, they handle the conservatorships and uh, a lot of other things. We have uh, the deputy reserves. We have um, a whole host of things that people maybe don't look at. They just look at the law enforcement part of it. And you walked right back. You walked into budget, uh, the budget, budget process, yes. uh, which has to be, you know, talk about a learning curve. Um, yeah. Um, we've been meeting on the budget. Uh, there's a lot of the budget that was uh, already set. Um, so we, we've kind of went over that. And I think next week will be the budget presentation. Yes, um, so, you know, we're, we're working through that. And um, that's something new to me. And But I have a great staff. Uh, I want to. I want to emphasize um, there at the uh, Sheriff's Department, uh, have a wonderful uh, media relations office assistant with uh, Brandy Sullivan. Mm-hmm. She she keeps me straight, my calendars and, and whatnot. Um, and then the command staff. We still have Chief Young there who's doing a great job helping this transition period. Um, the captains, uh, Rapan Hall and Hackman, they've been nothing but uh, helpful to me in this transition, it's great to have solid people uh, working with you and working to bring the, the department back into unity. And, you know, I, I can see that you're appreciative of that. Um, but at, at the end of the day, you're responsible for all those per, that personnel. You know, uh, if, if someone makes a mistake, misstep or, um, you know, needs to be called on the carpet, what's your, you know, how, how do you handle things like that? Um, it's all about accountability. We all need to be accountable. I've, I've talked to, uh, I've talked to at least one shift. Now we're we're, we're trying to 
we're trying to meet with everyone. I'm, I'm trying to meet with all different county entities and, and trying to do this in a, in a measured way and get my feet on the ground. But we, we talked to a chef last night, and I just encourage them. Uh, it's something you'll, they'll hear me say, and you'll hear me say, is just do the next right thing. Uh, and uh, I say that a lot, and it sounds pretty simple, but it's if they're doing the right things, and uh, when you try to do the right things, uh, especially in law enforcement, you're, you're going to make mistakes out here. It's, it's just inevitable. We're human. We make mistakes. And the mistakes of effort are easy. Not, I don't say easy, but those are the things that we can address and we can move forward and, and you can see progress and people getting better. It's the, it's the things that they may be a mistake the first time. They keep happening and happening habitual. That's when you have to step in to take, uh, take further action. Hopefully we don't have that a lot of um, I think we have a lot of capable deputies that, that want to do a good job and they just uh, need a little leadership in, in that area. And that's what our, that's what our corporals and sergeants and lieutenants, it's, it's a chain of command that we're trying to, trying to uh, emphasize uh, to, the, to the agency. I want to bring Eric into the conversation, Chief Administrative Officer. So what's this been kind of this process? Because you have a lengthy law enforcement background as well. And now you're tasked with kind of helping with this transition. Yes, ma'am. I, uh, so I started the state police back in 1994. Um, I came from the great state of Massachusetts, and I, I came down You're to practically Virginia. a native now. Oh, That's I am fine. Now. I've lived here a lot longer than I have in Massachusetts. <laughs> um, so 1994, I started the academy, and in May of 1995, I came to uh, Berkeley County, and I started my career as a road, road trooper. I progressed through the ranks, and... December 29th of 2023, I just retired from the state police with uh, 29.3, I like to put that point three mm-hmm. in there, years of service. Um, so I retired as a troop commander. And that's uh, just like a couple months ago, right? That was last month. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, so uh, so I retired, and uh, for those four weeks or so, I was really enjoying retirement. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rob came to me and asked me if I would if I would assist him with the sheriff's department and, um, you know, like him, I was, uh, you know, I was kind of going back and forth with it, but with, uh, 29 years of law enforcement experience, I figured I could, I could use some of that and try to help the sheriff's department with, uh, some of the leadership. Um, but I will say that the leadership within the organization right now is, um, top notch. Um, chief young is staying there for, uh, for a while. We have some great captains, lieutenants. We have some great deputies. Um, we do a lot of good work um, that I hope that people are going to, you know, see a see a positive change. Do you feel like you need to work harder to regain the public's trust? Because the sheriff's department has had some interesting news coming out of it for the past year, uh, the past calendar year. It's it's been a little chaotic. What I want to do is uh, with the sheriff. I I think we want to um, just show what we are going to bring to the sheriff's department. Show the positive, um, the positive aspects that we are going to have and capitalize on that. Um, we have a lot of experience. I've known Rob th- for thirty years. He's a good man. He's a good Christian man. He comes from a great family. Um, and uh, I just want to go ahead and use that with him and just show the people that Sheriff Rob Blair is going to do a great job for this county. 
So let's talk to Sheriff Blair about this. You know, moving forward, you have, you know, 10 plus months left in this position. Of course, it's an election year. You have thrown your hat in the ring to to be elected to the post uh, full time. But uh, in this year, what do you hope to accomplish? Well, we've already started. Um, like I, I spoke, bringing unity back to the department is it's, is key. You, we spoke before we, we came on air. If you don't have unity in in, in life, your family, your church, your community, um, any organization, it's it's very hard to uh, navigate. So we're, we're focusing on on that, number one. That uh, uh, When I took this position, there was all kinds of talk about we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Uh, you know, there's there's a certain level of, I don't want to say fear, but apprehension when someone new comes in. But um, the whole reason I took this is because I love my community. I love this agency. Um, my father-in-law was a two-term sheriff. Shug yeah, Shug Kisner. Yeah. No pressure. And, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I can't say how much uh, respect I had for that man. He, uh, he was a wonderful man and um, well-respected. And, um, you know, I have connections to this department. I worked with many deputies throughout the year, uh, throughout my years of law enforcement. And uh, I just, um, I've always enjoyed working with them and, I just, when I go into an agency or when I went into the state police in any position I went in, my goal was always to leave it better than I found it. And if it's 10 months or whatever, if it's the next uh, almost five years, then I'd be honored to do that. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's just something that um, I chose to do. It was, it was, it was, I don't want to say it was a struggle, but it was, it was a process to work through, but when I finally uh, became obedient and submitted to to this, I felt a release that I, I felt uh, a peace that I hadn't had before that. So uh, I'm looking forward to working with the, the men and women of the sheriff's, the civilian staff. I, I don't think I've mentioned them. Wonderful. Uh, just just a great group of people. Well, it was interesting. You mentioned growing up in, in Cabell County, applying to work in Mason, beginning to work at Jefferson. Uh, one thing that those counties all have in common is their border counties, and Berkeley County is as well. You know, is it fair to say that this sheriff's position is one of the more unique, not just because of your specific jurisdiction in Berkeley County, but having to worry about Hagerstown, Winchester, 81 is one of the most trafficked stretches of interstate in the state of West Virginia. I mean, what does that kind of look like, not just governor, legislator, policing Berkeley County, but everything you have in the surrounding area? I've been, been stationed up here pretty much my entire career, with the exception of nine months in Tucker County. Um I'm very familiar with the challenges that brings. Uh, always had great working relationships with uh, surrounding states. Uh, cooperate. You have to have that cooperation. You're kind of, like you said, on an island. Um, and uh, at least when I was with the state police, it's a little different layout. It was hard to maybe um, um, get the the things that were not out of South Charleston. It was, we were, we were he kind of, he said that folks. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is no fault of it. It's just, it's so it's centralized just, though. The government is exactly. very much centralized. It, yes. And we, and we hear that theme a good bit up here. With that being said, I had wonderful relationships with people in Charleston. I, I know the current superintendent, Jack Chambers, he's, he's a good friend. And, uh, um, so there's a lot of people down there. I still have connections with. And, and one of the things we, we are striving to do is, bring in that cooperate when I when I was a young trooper in Jefferson County it wasn't uncommon for me to ride with a deputy a deputy ride with me or 
I'd be on the mountain on a call and look over my shoulder. There's a Shepherdstown Ranch and Charlestown police officer standing backing me up because I didn't have anybody else to back me up. Um, it's just I, I want that relationship to to, to begin. And I'm, I'm not saying it's it's fractured, but I want to see and some of the things we have planned. We, we want to cooperate with the city police, the, the state police and any any or the Eastern Panhandle Drug and Violent Crimes Task Force. We are going to we are going to support that um, uh, that group strongly because they get results. One of the things you do need is a lot of personnel backing you up. So um, how many openings do you do you believe you have right now, and, and how does that whole process play out right now? I'm glad you asked that. Um, right now we have six vacancies, and uh, we're looking to hire, um, if people um, want to put this date down, uh, your application has to be into the Civil Service Commission on, one, I believe it's 100 West King Street, there at the old courthouse, by February 14th, Valentine's Day. <laughs> Um, Did they do that on purpose? So, yeah, maybe it's to, <laughs> to get someone's attention. And then um, uh, the testing for that, for this process, will will be on February 24th. And um, we're, we're asking anyone that has a desire for law enforcement, you really need to, if you want to go into law enforcement, it has to be something you really, really want to do. It's The pay's not the best. It's better than it has been. And we'll always be advocating for better pay, especially for this area. I did it when the state police trying to get locality paid. That's that's a big hot topic. That, mm-hmm. uh, Every but, year. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it's not something you're going to get into to, to get rich, but it's it's um, it's a fulfilling uh, job. It's it's hard at times. It's you, It has its challenges, uh, but uh, it's kind of a calling if you – you know what I mean? It's not just a job. You both had a chance to get out and retire and, and go elsewhere and golf or whatever. And you came back, both of you. Why? Well, I can't golf. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, out of options. That was out. Uh, it's just something that once, once you do it, it's always with you. You know, even when I was retired, I, I sometimes say to my wife, I'm driving down the road and I see a trooper or a deputy and it's almost like I used to do that, and it's just you—it's just something that all is always with you. It's um, once you're a police officer, you're always a police officer, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Sheriff, best of luck over the next couple of months, and gentlemen, we really appreciate you coming in and giving us the time this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and get to this first break. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment here on Panhandle Live. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. It's Panhandle Live. Welcome back in. Panhandle Live, as always, is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg. Online to CountryRoadsTire.com today. If you missed any or part of our conversation with uh, Berkeley County Sheriff Rob Blair, we're going to be posting this episode on our Panhandle News Network Spotify coming up here in just a couple of moments. And we'll get to our next break here in just a couple of moments and with it, our next guest. But, Marsha, uh, like you mentioned, we did want to play one quick excerpt, of course, uh, a lot of us in mourning of the death of Toby Keith. Again, myself, not the biggest country music <laughs> fan, but can understand the impact of losing somebody that uh, built a legacy like he did. I know we want to play a really quick cut here. Can you uh, set that up for the listeners? Sure. So, of course, Toby uh, Keith lost his battle with cancer at the age of 62. If you were uh, coming of age or, or aware of things in the early 90s, he made quite a splash. Very innovative. Could have done other things. He was a football player as well. Um, but uh, as a singer and a songwriter, uh, he he made his mark. Uh, he was very... Um, 
impactful whenever we got attacked uh, on on 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he kind of made an American anthem that caught a lot of attention and, and uh, support. And um, as he worked through this cancer diagnosis, uh, he leaned on his faith. And there's an excerpt here um, from uh, Oklahoma News 9. They had an exclusive interview with him a few months ago. Cancer is a roller coaster, so you're, it's like, you just sit here and wait on it to go away. It may not ever go away. Uh, and if it goes in remission, it's still going to be in the back of your mind. You still have to do scans and stuff. How do you maneuver through those dark hallways? Faith. Yeah, you have to have your faith. It's, uh, thank God that I got it, too. You take it for granted on days that things are good, and you lean on it when days are bad. And it's taught me to lean on a little more every day. Have you experienced a peace that passes all understanding? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I finally got to a point in the spring. I was diagnosed in October of 21, and I was going through all the chemo and the first time I'd been through chemo and radiation surgery. And I just got to a point where I was comfortable with whatever happened. I had my brain wrapped around it, and I was in a good spot either way. So uh, people without faith don't have that. The old-fashioned people's choices on TV. So yeah, that's an excerpt from a, an exclusive from his, you know, hometown um, TV station. So, uh, you know, putting it all in perspective, Toby Keith passed away at the age of 62 after a battle with cancer. So we'll take a really quick break, break excuse me, and we'll get to our next guest on the other side. So stay tuned. This is Panhandle Live. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg, it's Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network. Keeping the conversation going here on Panhandle Live. Luke Wiggs, Marsha Cavalli, hanging out with you. And Marsha, our next guest, joining us via phone. I was a little worried the phone line was going to pull him into the contest <laughs> that's going on over at the Big Talk, but happy that he was uh, patient with us and called back. Dr. Ryan McCarthy is an internal medicine specialist at WVUA's Berkeley Medical Center. He's also the creator of the Healthcare is Human podcast, and he joins us via phone right now. Welcome in. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being on. And, you know, I've talked about this uh, before. Uh, During the pandemic, uh, you thought it would be a good idea to document some of the behind the scenes, uh, you know, activities and and what folks were going through uh, in in the medical services industry, not just um, doctors, but also all of the ancillary practitioners and service workers and all of that. So set this up for us a little bit. Yeah, sure, Marcia. That's exactly right. And the Healthcare is Human project is now four years old. It's hard to believe, but um, four years. And telling stories is what we're all about, um, telling stories of healthcare workers. And we do that through interviews that I, I go around and, and conduct with various folks. And then we also have a storytelling component with photography. I work with an incredible photographer from Shepherdstown, Molly Humphreys. And that storytelling um, technique and, and method is how we really want to provide an authentic and real view of people who work in healthcare. The idea is that healthcare is an ecosystem and requires all of us, whether we're the janitor, security, IT, a technician, a nurse, or somebody else, that it takes all of us. And that, that realization um, really hit me during the pandemic. Now, when we you know, come up to where we are now, Healthcare is human. The stories that we're really looking to tell, and uh, why I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to be on the show, um, we have launched um, our podcast here in 2024. We're going to be doing something called the Recovery Series, 
And we are really going to be telling stories of brave women and men in our community who are working in substance abuse recovery. And uh, the first one out of the gate, this podcast that we have, we're going to be playing an excerpt of uh, a, a local uh, practitioner, right? Sure is. One of my uh, colleagues, the incredible Dr. Nikki Arvon, uh, like myself, um, raised in this community. And Dr. Arvon works over at the uh, WVU Crisis Support and Recovery Center that's right on Wilson Street here in downtown Martinsburg. And um, it's a nondescript building. And if you drive by, um, many people will have uh, no idea of the life-changing, life-affirming, health-supporting work that is going on inside um, recovery uh, from substance abuse disorder um, is a, a story of, of folks who are dedicated to caring for community members. And our recovery series really focuses on substance abuse disorder from a, a neglected perspective, and that's one of hope and optimism and health. Over the last quarter century, those of us in West Virginia, you know, we know what opioids and substance abuse have done to our community. And we've often really looked at that through the, the lens of negativity and blame and shame. And, and honestly, uh, these incredible folks working in recovery now um, are coming from a place of compassion, love, support, science, and these wraparound services that are really showing that, that recovery is, is something that can and is being achieved in our community. So I wanted to ask you before we play this clip, and we're only going to be able to play an excerpt, but, um, you know, since since this started, and I remember you uh, calling and talking to me about this when it was just an idea, what has been your response? I know you've gotten a lot of accolades, you know, nationally uh, and, and attention for this, but what has been your response from the folks on the ground that you've been talking to? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I think the response is um – is one of, of, of gratitude and appreciation. And, and what I mean specifically by that is it didn't dawn on me until we really got into the project that when you stop and you talk to a janitor or somebody in security and you tell them that their story is worth telling, many of these folks basically told me that nev- no one had ever really stopped and, and asked them their point of view and wanted them to contribute. So it's been very meaningful. Our participants have told us that. And through the photographs, which you can see on social media, um, people have told us that their families have now understood what their what their job and their role and the importance of these various parts of healthcare. So uh, participants in healthcare as human have found it to be very gratifying from that standpoint. And I can't underscore the fact that the photography the photography that we have by Molly Humphreys, I, I've often called it Vogue magazine for healthcare. These photographs are so artistic and beautiful that it really, I think, allows somebody's authentic self to speak to, I'm a woman working in healthcare, I'm a man working in healthcare, here's who I am, here's what I do. And people have just been so struck by the power of these photographs um, that, that many people who have participated tell me those kind of things. Okay, so final two questions. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, did you have a question? No, no, too? How many of these podcasts have you put together? And uh, finally, before we have to let you go, and then we'll play the the excerpt, um, how can folks find these for themselves? Folks can find our podcast, uh, Healthcare is Human. If you search for Healthcare is Human, our podcast is on major platforms. Healthcare is Human is also our Facebook and Instagram, where you can see hundreds of these photographs. Um, uh, We have our our 28th podcast episode, 
uh, will be coming out soon, and we we really look to have likely six or more episodes for our recovery series to tell these incredible stories of folks right here in our community helping people recover from substance abuse disorder. Very good. Uh, well, Doctor, thank you very much for calling in and giving us the time this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. And that's uh, Dr. Ryan McCarthy. And without further ado, let's get to an excerpt from the Healthcare is uh, Human podcast. Welcome to Healthcare is Human, a monthly podcast featuring authentic storytelling and healthcare with your host, Dr. Ryan McCarthy. Welcome to Healthcare is Human. I'm Ryan McCarthy. And I'm Renee Nicholson. As we continue our journey here through downtown Martinsburg, uh, we're going to have our guest go ahead and introduce herself. Hi, I'm Nikki Arvon. I'm a family medicine doc here at WVU Medicine East, practicing in addiction services at this point. Wife, mom, three kids. That's about it. That's about it. Well, that's uh, there, there's a lot there, um, and we're going to have you kind of unpack and dig into those. Um, as the Healthcare is Human project has come to f- tell and share stories of recovery, uh, Renee, we've been talking about a lot of the themes that we are hearing. And what are the things that have struck you so far about the folks who, who do this hard and difficult work? Definitely the sense of family. And um, that is expressed both being family for the patients, but being family for the team and each other. Uh, the theme of hope and love and caring come up uh, time and again. And um, then also the theme of how the outside world, the, 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 how the world outside the walls of, of this building um, understands or maybe more appropriately misunderstands what recovery is all about. So with that as a backdrop, Dr. Arvon, you have, you have your own family, which is hard, hard enough. So you're working mom, working wife. You mentioned some of those roles. And so on top of that, you choose to do an extraordinarily difficult, emotionally demanding job. So my first question is, why? So when I graduated residency, I was a hospitalist for two years after that. Uh, This was in 2015, 2016. And as I was practicing medicine, doing what I loved at the time, I would have these patients coming in who had suffered overdose, uh, and we were reviving them, and then they would leave, and we had nothing to give them. I didn't feel like we had even a piece of paper to say, here's some option for treatment that you can engage in if you want to. And we would hear the stories of their family members and, and them, and I really grew to understand more about addiction and recovery and what that really means and the people on the other end of it. And so I, I grew to love these people. And when I got the opportunity to work in just this field, I jumped at it. I was thrilled to be able to do this kind of work. I feel like I'm a real doc finally. I love it. Wow. So you're working in a hospital, but when you're doing this, that's when you're the real doc. That That's pretty amazing. So how did the opportunity come up for you to, to I guess the right word is pivot to, to uh, addiction and recovery? 
And before Dr. Arvon uh, answers that, while she's thinking of that, I, I, I do have to tell our listeners that I know how good you were in hospital medicine. Um, and, you know, that was a career that you, you clearly could have done. You know, I know it's not as satisfying as what you're doing now. I got that. But, um, you know, that, you were very good at that. So that question of pivot, you mentioned a couple of things, but there you were. It took a lot of energy to turn to where we are. What was it? Burnout. Period. End of story. I was completely burnt out uh, in primary care. I ended up pivoting to primary care. That's a very long story and relatively irrelevant. Um, and and so I got very burnt out in primary care. I actually left um, and went to the VA for a year and got burnt out there too. And I thought, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I do this? Um, and so I actually worked with a physician coach for a while and figured out that it's because I wasn't really doing the things that I was ultimately most passionate about. And so while I was still working at the VA, I called my old boss and I said, can I come home please? And she said, sure, but we have, all we have is this addiction work that it needs to be done. I said, oh, really? Oh, sign me up. And so really that's how it happened. It was that simple. Wow. I, I mean, it sounds elegant in a sense, but it does not sound simple. I mean, I can say that as an internal medicine doctor. I know that when things are complicated, that sounds complicated um, in a good way. I, I, um, but when you think about that and it's, did it call you? Was it something that spoke to you on a different level? You mentioned burnout. I mean, obviously anybody in any healthcare role can get burned out, right? Day in, day out, whether it's a hospital, a clinic, it, you know, it almost doesn't matter. Um, so why doesn't this, some people would look at this and say, Dr. Arvon, this is even more demanding than what you were doing before from their point of view. Why does this recovery work not burn you out? It is incredibly fulfilling to me and incredibly rewarding. I get to know my patients at a level that I never got before. Uh, and that really drives me that I have these really deep relationships with these patients that I get to know them so well. And, you know, the front desk will call me and say, Hey, we've got, you know, Sam. And I know that's a made up name, but I know exactly who that is. I know their whole story. I know everything about them. I know their meds. I know, you know, I know the whole thing. I know their kids. I know what's going on for their holiday plans. And, and just building that relationship is really rewarding for me and fulfilling for me. And then uh, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but this work is saving lives. The overdose deaths that are happening out there are absolutely, it's terrible and it's terrifying. And the, the people that I see and the people that I treat do not want to die. They don't. And this is saving their lives, essentially, the medication and the, and the program. Not to say that I'm, you know, that important, but part of this treatment team is, is keeping people from using, people who don't want to be using. And so it's literally saving lives, and that just is so exciting to me. Yeah, I'm thinking about my undergraduates, and I used to teach a class called Medicine in the Arts, and so many of those students talked about their interest in medicine as being wanting to help people, 
And then, you know, for about 10 years now, I've been working with physicians. And the number one complaint I hear is, I thought I got into medicine to help people. And you so articulately took us through that entire journey right there. Um, What can we do to help people who want to get into medicine reconnect uh, or connect in the first place with that drive, that, that deep passion for helping people? Ooh, that's a tough question. Oh my goodness. Um, I think it would take a lot of system work um, to break down some of those barriers that we experience as physicians and taking care of patients. Uh, I think for me, one of the main things that can be done on a regular routine basis is actually volunteer work um, of meeting these folks where they are, uh, literally go out into the streets and talk to them and get to know people and get to understand people and connect with them on a very personal level, uh, on a human level, uh, if, if you will. And that really usually for those of us who just are in the human business and want to help people can be very important, uh, in that, in that sense. Cause when you're in clinic, you're so busy and worried about the n- documentation and clicking all the right buttons and insurance and da, 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 that you don't have time to connect with that person as a, as a human being. So that's an excerpt from the healthcare is human podcast. And, uh, we really appreciate Dr. Ryan McCarthy calling in and uh, giving us a time. And as he said, you're able to find that podcast uh, on just about every podcast platform that you so choose. And similarly to ours, our show will be podcasted on our Panhandle News Network Spotify page coming up here in just a couple of moments. We've got a break to take. We'll wrap up the show on the other side, hit a couple of headlines, and get another edition of the Metro News Capital Report. So stay tuned. It's Panhandle Live. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live. Final segment of Panhandle Live. Panhandle Live is always driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Online to CountryRoadsTire.com today. Stay tuned to 10.06, another edition of Metro News Talk Line. As today, Dave Wilson, as he put in his rundown, is pinch-hitting for Hoppy Kirchival, of course, directing a significant amount of attention to this legislative session that is underway at the state capitol. Let's get to another edition of the Metro News Capital Report. This is the Metro News Capital Report, brought to you by AARP West Virginia. AARP is your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Connect on social media at AARPWV or learn more at aarp.org WV. Today's report in 60 seconds. AARP is your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. A wise friend and fierce defender for everyone in West Virginia as you get older. With nearly 230,000 members and communities in all 55 counties, AARP is working every day for you. We have financial tools and health guides to help make sure the good things in your life live as long as you do. We're working to protect your hard-earned money, sharing tips and tools to help you spot frauds and scams. At the same time, AARP is advocating on behalf of West Virginians 50-plus and their families at the state capitol. Every day, we're supporting family caregivers and fighting for things like lower prescription drug prices and ensuring access to home and community-based services. Everyone in the Mountain State needs someone in their corner. That someone is AARP. 
For more information, connect with us on social media at AARP West Virginia or find us online at aarp.org WV. The House of Delegates set to take a passage vote today on a bill whose title says it will, quote, provide for oversight and authority governing community air monitoring programs. The bill, although only on third reading today, has been debated for the last several days on the House floor and was the subject of a public hearing last week. Monday, delegates took up a proposed amendment from Kanawha County Delegate Larry Rowe that would actually give more credence to air monitoring that actually takes place in communities. Rowe and fellow Kanawha County Delegate Mike Pushkin say the bill is really weak without it. Without your amendment, any information taken from a privately owned air monitor would be inadmissible in court. Absolutely. That's exactly what the bill does. Exactly. Even if it's verified, even if it's validated by the Secretary of DEP, uh, uh, and even if it's historic data that's not otherwise available. Also up for passage today in the House, a joint resolution amending the Constitution to prohibit persons, not U.S. citizens, from voting in any election held within the state of West Virginia. And another bill that would allow for public and private schools in West Virginia to employ security personnel. House floor session and Senate floor session both begin at 11 today. I'm Jeff Jenkins on Metro News, the voice of West Virginia. Thank you, Jeff. And we'll be hearing the Metro News Capital Report throughout the conclusion of the legislative session. As I mentioned, we've got uh, another edition of Metro News Talk Line hosted today by Big Chair himself, Dave Wilson, beginning at 10.06. But, uh, Marsha, before we clear the airwaves here, a couple of headlines we wanted to hit uh, before we wrap up the show. Uh, had a wreck this morning mm-hmm. in uh, southern Berkeley County and then an update on uh, the ongoing situation there in Jefferson County as well. That's right. So the, um, the the accident that occurred this morning was reported by Alert Berkeley around 5 this morning, and it took hours for it all to get uh, cleared up. I was at the accident scene around 5.15 or so, and there was a rollback there. So I thought, oh, this will be, you know, no, no worries. But uh, we talked to Sheriff Blair uh, off mic, and uh, he said uh, that what had happened was there was a, a vehicle that was hauling fish because uh, there was a fish hatchery down there, um, and it was in an accident. So there was a big fluid spill, and, uh, you know, he said no persons were injured, but he could not say the same. He didn't have any any uh, numbers on the loss. We'll of reach out fish. to the fish for comment. I don't know if they'll, they'll they might be a little <laughs> quiet on that. Um, so anyway, that that uh, messed up traffic north and southbound on uh, Winchester Avenue because it happened right there. And so I just in time for the morning commute. Um, but I'm glad there were no injuries. Um, and the news broke uh, this week that over the weekend, a former, now former Jefferson High School teacher had been arrested as a fugitive out of uh, Cobb County, Georgia, facing some um, sex assault uh, of a minor charges. And uh, Jefferson County Schools um, issued two statements. They said they really weren't going to comment uh, further, uh, but, you know, due, due to the ongoing nature of it. But they did say that, you know, in accordance to state law, they reported uh, what they knew and uh, the, the uh, employee was uh, immediately relieved of his duties uh, when the school district became aware of it. Uh, he is, uh, he's been identified as Edgar Kahn. Uh, he was a Jefferson High School English teacher. Uh, the school system says uh, the man's access to buildings was terminated. Keys and badge were confiscated. Badge access was de- was uh, was deactivated, and uh, no a no trespass order uh, was issued uh, for all Jefferson County Schools properties uh, for the individual. A prioritized search of all electronic records for inappropriate conduct was uh, launched, or content, excuse me, was launched by law enforcement. 
And uh, we'll continue to update that story on our news product that you can hear at the top of every hour from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. Like I mentioned, Metro News Talk Line with Dave Wilson coming up next. 11.06, his guest will be 2nd District Congressman Alex Mooney. So uh, you're certainly not going to want to miss that. We're closing the show today uh, appropriately with some Toby Keith. Marcia, you made the selection of this song. I did. And uh, why this one specifically? Gets you in the feels. This brings it all back to the the middle 90s and when he was in his prime. And uh, we're going to miss his uh, presence. But uh, fortunately, his work, his body work lives on. Well, it's Toby Keith to take us to the top of the hour. Thanks for listening. For Marsha Kavalik, I've been Luke Wiggs. We'll talk to you tomorrow. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.